You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome to the Critics Table. Every episode, we are joined by three luminary theater critics as they review the latest shows on and off Broadway. You may agree with one, all of them, or none at all, but we ask that you listen first and ask questions later. Let's join the table, shall we? Hello, I'm Juan Michael Porter II. I'm Christian Lewis. And I am Vidatri D. Chaudhry. And this is The Critics' Table where we discuss the hottest shows on and off-Broadway and give you our hot takes. But first, let's talk about where we write. I freelance at a number of publications, including Did They Like It, Theaterly, American Theater. You can follow me at JuanMichaelII for the second on Twitter. I'm Christian Lewis. I also freelance all over the place, including Did They Like It, Theater Mania, Theaterly, American Theater Magazine, all of my writing can be found on my Twitter, at C. Lewis Reviews. Hi, I'm Bidatri, and I also write all over the place, but mostly on film and documentaries. But when I'm writing about theater, it's usually for Did They Like It. And you can have access to all my writing on my Twitter, which is at Bidatri, my first name. Now let's jump into our show today, Birthday Candles. Um, Christian, I'm really excited about this because you are a star baker, of course, but first, a quick synopsis. Emmy Award winner Deborah Messing from Will & Grace comes home to Broadway in the poignant and funny new hit play about the extraordinary moments that make up one woman's ordinary life. Messing leads a remarkable cast as Ernestine Ashworth, who spends her 17th birthday agonizing over her insignificance in the universe. Soon enough, it's her 18th birthday, even sooner her 41st, her 70th, her 101st. Five generations, an infinity of dreams, and one cake baked over a century. This true gift of a play, according to Variety, will take you through the highlights and heartbreaks of 90 years in 90 minutes. As the Daily News says, Messing is extraordinarily moving. It's truly a must-see show. I know that Chris Jones wrote that, and I was sitting behind him at the show where he was bawling next to his son, and it was really touching. First thoughts, I'm curious, what did you think? I want to hear from you, Badatri. It's one of those, it's, it's very much like TV. It draws you in. Like, you just want to see what happens. And I really like the pacing. I know it's 100 years fit within, like, a very short play. I mean, relatively short, given like the long run times this season on the Broadway. Uh, but you know, it was very engrossing. I was and and the set was, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. The set was so beautifully designed, 
and uh, so it's it really sucks you in but then later when you sit back and think about it i was just like mm, it was fun but you know that's that's about it i i don't think it was particularly profound i'll i'll get into the baking but it's funny for me even to like hear the like very crazy pull quotes from chris jones and others and to hear people crying cuz i was sitting there like not affected by this play at all i found it hollow cheesy I wrote a review of it for Theater Mania and I think I called it like Our Town Fan Fiction. It was definitely like not I'm not very into this play and my biggest well I have several critiques including I was not a fan of Deborah Messing's pretty overacted performance. But as as a star baker, my biggest issue is the central birthday cake of this production. The whole point is we're supposed to watch Deborah Messing bake a single cake over 90 years and 90 minutes and uh i don't know who trained her but fire that baking consultant and get another person because she literally couldn't even like measure flour properly let alone like mix anything and then the cake she makes is a boring one layer eight inch round birthday cake that she throws out it's not decorated nobody eats it i was, I, it was the cake part of this was so disappointing and we as critics we get the script and there's an entire like page long note in the script about how important the baking on stage is and i was like did the director and everyone just completely ignore this because in this production the baking is not that important but i will end my baking related rant there so we can move on no i said this i came out of the theater and i said this to my friend that if i were the playwright I would definitely make that woman sit and eat a slice of cake after like she spent 100 years baking it. It it would have been more compelling than throwing it out undecorated. Also the play is called Birthday Candles and they never put damn candles on the cake. Yeah. And but also my South Asian childhood, you know, rung through my head with my mom's words saying, "Don't waste food. What are you doing? Don't waste food." You know, I I think it's the 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 show that not take the cake and more than that it didn't offer us any. It it was very sweet. I was moved by the people around me who were crying and what it reminded me of was being in Colorado where I worked for a year with very with people who are not running around like we are in New York City all the time. And so in my mind I thought are tourists who come here to see this pleased with seeing a slice of their life? Does this actually fulfill them? Or is this just talking back to them what they think about themselves? And this isn't to say that people in other parts of the country are simpler, but I do think that there was something a bit trite about this. And that didn't bother me because I didn't think that the play was reaching for much. I know that um the playwright Noah Hadel he actually suffered a bit of mental unwellness and had gone home and spent time with his family who took care of him and so I I kept thinking maybe this is a tribute to them a tribute to the people who nurtured him even though it's supposed to be about this caretaker who we learn very little about so that that's a bit of a problem for me that this woman who's on stage the entire show ends up being an unknown and in the hands of Messing almost a sort of a caricature of what a, an aging woman is what did we think about the production itself the design the the costumes the lighting but after you mentioned i think the set design is certainly like uh pretty beautifully done it's a very realistic rendered like kitchen above it it has like floating props that are all important in this woman's life and i found that nice i i liked the lighting design costumes are pretty innocuous but the sound design in my opinion is just like unforgivable 
And if there's a moment when characters die and there's like this wind chime noise and it's like the cheesiest thing ever. And I'm going to be haunted by that wind chime noise for a while. I don't know about you, but Autry. About the sound, there's that little gong that goes on, um, you know, with every year passing. I mean, by the 10th time, I was like, I get it. <laughs> you know, I was just like, do it the first five times. Trust your audience. They'll know after that, right? But that gong, like Christian and the wind chime, it's the gong in me. One thing about that is when you mentioned the cake coming out, I remember smelling it and having this moment of like, oh, and now we're going to get the cake. And then, like you said, it's just thrown away. And I, I was very impressed that the kitchen worked, that it was a functional kitchen. But I didn't feel like there was much about it that was integrated into their daily lives. It seemed to be almost like a, a TV show thing that's there, but that doesn't really affect everyone, um, regardless of how beautiful it is. I'm wondering, would you all have preferred to have seen them using the set more? I actually, you know, one thing I thought about, like, this is a hundred years of a woman's life and all we see is her kitchen, you know, and then she talks about her travels for a bit with her son. She's uh, sharing the photo album. And I wish we saw a little more beyond the kitchen. I mean, I was very impressed that it's a working kitchen. I love a good oven as much as the next Christian. <laughs> but uh, but um, I do think I wish I had seen more of her world outside of the kitchen because we hear so much about it. Yeah, I'm also convinced that there's there's some theater magic happening with that oven because that cake that came out of the oven is not the cake that Deborah Messing mixed together. It's not. It's just not. But it did smell nice, so I'll give you that. Were there any particular performances that stood out to you? I, I'm going to make one comment that I was particularly annoyed with the sudden old lady voice that Deborah Messing started to put on as she got older. And that when it was happening, I thought, is she really doing this? And I hate to trash on anyone. And I, I'm just going to come out and say that I think she was miscast. And I wish that Jane Howdy Shell had been in the part because the part can be ageless, uh, uh, which is a note in the script. And I think that Jane Hattyshell, who is phenomenal in Coraline and who has seen both sides of life, would have brought something true to this that would have elevated the text and the entire experience. Yeah, I mean, I really liked uh, Ernestine's friend Kenneth, uh, played by Enrico Colantoni. I hope I'm saying that right. He's adorable. And like, you know, he's the kind of, you know, as a straight woman, I'm just like, oh, I wish I met someone like that when I was 17. I mean, I don't, I'd probably curse my luck. But, uh, but you know, one thing that really did not sit well with me is Matt Ernestine's husband, played by uh, John Earl Jelks. And he's fantastic throughout the play. But there is that bit where he like, play acts in a way that we're supposed to assume he's had a stroke or something. And it's just not nice the way he does it. It's like, you know, it's like one of those things we used to do in like when we were kids in middle school, like middle school bullies used to do to make fun of someone who walks a little different, who talks a little different or like, you know, just makes fun of someone with a lisp, you know, like the lowest hanging fruit kind of acting. I really did not appreciate that. And I think the play could have gone on very well without those few seconds of him acting like that. Yeah, I likewise, I was really put off by the fact that both a lot of the jokes about like the daughter-in-law uh, that's like very anxious and like maybe neuroatypical. And then each of the other actors had a moment where they were like dramatically dying of some like very tragic Dickens melodramatic 
thing on stage and I was just like don't know why they had to do that it felt kind of ableist in its melodrama and its comedy and did not like that and one Michael I really agree I was like really shocked when I read that note in the script that said that like an ac- any actress of any age can play Ernestine and there's actually an iteration of the show where she doesn't perform age at all would have loved to see that also this will come up in a later episode probably, but also on this season we have Mary Louise Parker performing a lot of ages and showing how subtly that can be done. So I think to your point of Deborah Messing was probably just not the actress for this role. Christian, you brought up a term that I don't know everyone is familiar with, ableist. Could you actually speak to that? Because it's so important for everyone to be aware of this. Yeah, thank you for stopping me to define that for everyone. Ableism is a prejudice stigma against disabled people very akin to like a homophobia or a racism of people discriminating against for various reasons. And so when I say that a play is ableist, I'm saying that it's like taking a a bad view and misappropriating and being inconsiderate towards actual disabled people by treating disability in this show to be something to be laughed at or to cry at. I wouldn't say that um, our director, uh, Vivian Binesh, was doing this purposefully, but at this level, one has to think about all the angles, about how this is received, particularly by the communities who are affected by that representation. And a lot of times I know um, people who aren't in the theater who would say, well, how else were they supposed to do it? And they sort of think that we as critics are giving people a hard time. And I would say that this was a solution. Instead of play acting it, just acknowledge it and speak to the person. When these transformations occur, they occur within seconds. And the nuance that we all know that goes into someone acquiring dementia or suicide ideation or a stroke, it, it happens over the course of years. It's not this sort of jarring thing which becomes almost mean to observe. And I, I don't think it was necessary, I think is what we are all saying, to have indicated that. They could have just done the text and then let it be, and the audience would have understood and would have actually felt grateful, especially those of us who have seen that occur to people in our families, to have not been, I would, I don't, I'm not going to say traumatized, but it was hurtful. It was definitely hurtful. Yeah, it felt like by doing it that quick, it was like insensitive. Where do you think that this show would play well? Like, let's say that Broadway is not the place for it. At the the time, my take, which I want to say with as much like, love and kindness as possible is that this is a really great play for a high school to do it has themes that people are gonna love in a high school audience it has some nice acting challenges for high schoolers you can cast it in a couple different ways because here it was cast where the ensemble was all like triple casted but you could just have everyone play their one character if you needed a bigger cast for a high school but also, really, based on Badatri and Mon Michael, you're talking about the kitchen. I'd love to see this, like, maybe, like, in the round at a very small off-Broadway theater where we can, like, really see that baking happening. Like, that might be very cool and a very hyper-realistic or even site-specific thing. Like, in a kitchen, give us a full, real working kitchen that we can see close up. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just really glad and fortunate that three absolute sugar fiends are discussing uh, this play. Um, but I agree with Christian that I, I also think because this play explores like you know th- themes of feminism, even like feminist thought, family. 
I do, th- and b- because they, it does it in a very broad strokes kind of manner. We've talked about how it's not very nuanced. So I do think, it, you know, it, it's a very good play for young women to watch, to think, you know, to get those ideas, you know, when we first start reading Virginia Woolf, you know, that age, you know, where you like, your kitchen is not your world. There's a world that lies behind it, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I would definitely like to see how a young audience of women would uh, like to, uh, would react to this play. Also, uh, both Christian and I have been talking about the sets and I just wanted to name the person behind it, Christine Jones. So just shout out. About the the stars above that you all mentioned, that felt like, I love that those objects weren't in the daily business of what was going on on stage because it's very tight, it goes by very quickly. And it, it felt like, oh, these are the things that make up a person's life that sort of revolve around them. And that felt really beautiful and very well um, realized. I, I think something about the feminism within this play, uh, the fact that I mentioned earlier that we don't really get Ernestine's voice or perspective, that she's essentially a servant for other people. And there is a moment where she starts to travel and live for herself and start her own business, but it seems to actually occur within only a few gongs or a few years, or and therefore a few minutes, and then she's back to, to serving people. And uh, for those who don't, when we mentioned that the show is triple cast, the actors who play her family members go from being maybe a lover to a child to a grandchild to a neighbor later on. And so you see things being passed on down through the lineage. And while that is really profound and beautiful to observe, because there was nothing grounding it that made you think, well, why are we coming back to this particular woman aside from the fact that that's the conceit of the play? I started to think, well, I'd rather go follow those other people. I don't really care about this woman anymore. And I'm curious if you all found the um, central performance lacking as well. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, and I brought up Virginia Woolf for a reason. It's, it's you know, the feminism is very white first wave. You know, this whole idea of a caregiver, but with a little ambition, but enough to not like ruffle feathers, you know, vote, you know, let's let's find a way to vote but like let's not talk about what's happening at home you know that's what I mean by you know the feminism in this is very first wave and which is why I brought in Virginia Woolf and why I think this would resonate with younger women who need that introduction into feminist thought and female agency but once you've worked past that you've grown past that I think this film uh, sorry this film, I keep saying film because that's my daily bread uh, but this plays um feminism is a little outdated which is why i think it doesn't kind of like sits a little wonky with the times i was even surprised to hear anyone talk about the feminism of the play because i was like oh she mentions wanting to be like queen lear in a play like is that what we're like is that is that our bar now for what counts as feminism because like it's a really low bar for me i don't i don't know if i necessarily find the character very underwritten I think I was just so kind of like put off by Deborah Messing's performance where when she was a teenager, she was like hand on hips, pouty, like I want to be Queen Lear. And then by the time she was an old lady, she was like bent over and like doing this old lady voice. And I was like, oh boy. But like, that's why like I, before I can even judge if that character is underwritten, I just would love to like see someone else do it because I think maybe someone else could make a lot of that part. But on the other hand, I would love for Deborah Messing to play Lucille Ball 
because when she cries i'm like that's i love lucy <laughs> you know i shouldn't be thinking that way but i did and i was like that's a missed opportunity somebody should cast her as lucy move over nicole kidman <laughs> agree agree i love this well um final thoughts hmm final thoughts i don't think i would recommend people to go see birthday candles but if you if you want if you're a tearjerker kind of person and you want to have a little tearjerker of a play go see it and i hope that this play has some kind of future in high schools and community theaters in other castings and other imaginings i don't think this version is this version is definitely not for me but i don't think the play is useless in the world yeah i mean i agree with christian um i do think you know if you want to watch it if, and it, it is it is a good play in the sense of its pacing its production design we've talked about it so you know if if that's that's your thing then yeah sure go ahead and watch it watch it with your mom and grandmom perhaps like people next to me were crying so i mean if that's your shtick then maybe you should watch it sumptuous productions sacrum center makes people cry if that's your jam if you're coming from out of town and you want to feel something then i think that this play might be for you and i know that not everyone is looking for uh, war and peace and so i would actually suggest it to people who maybe find Les Mis to be a little too complicated for them and i say that lovingly yeah and it's mother's day so this is a ni- i think it's a nice mother's day play Absolutely. Not too challenging, not going to fight with each other, going to say, "See, that's you." Go have some mimosas with your mom after. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Critics Table podcast. We would like to thank Jose Solis and the Bipop Critics Lab team who have generously partnered with us on this project. You can find out more about the Bipop Critics Lab at bipopcritics.lab.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss a review and learn more about our critics at bpn.fm/critics-table. The views or opinions expressed by the critics in this episode are solely their own and do not necessarily represent views or opinions of the Broadway Podcast Network. See you next time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 